What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, good evening and welcome once again to another episode of In Conversation With. Uh, and I am your host, Victor C. Been on a couple of, you know, two weeks of hiatus and, um, you know, I, sometimes you need a break. But in the process, I, I did have to cancel the show. I had Dr. Clenora that was scheduled to come on, but some things came up, so we weren't able to do the program. But I truly appreciate Dr. Clenora and everything she brought to the program the last time that she was on. But tonight, I got another special guest, and many you, everybody's familiar with this gentleman, and he he gets around. He voices his opinion. He tells it like it is. A lot of times people don't like to hear what it is that he got to say. But sometimes the truth is always hard to swallow. And I believe this gentleman tells the truth and a whole lot of stuff, especially the things that pertain to uh, us as a people, the things that pertain to us as a nation, but even more than that, as a community, uh, what has happened over the last 50, 60 uh, years have indicated a, a change from the norms. And today's time, we're, li- we're living in a time when uh, that which is normal is now considered abnormal, Right. <laughs> that which is, as the scriptures would tell us, those things that are considered evil are now considered good in the times that we're living in. I mean, we, we're living in some really, really perilous times, and there's opposition to the traditional mindset, the traditional values that so many of us hold, Um not everybody believes that there is a creator or God. There are people that believe that things just happen, you know, and we're here. And then there, there are those of us that believe there is a creator, one who set everything in place. And I personally don't believe he put everything in place and then just left it to us to run it. I think there are consequences. I believe there are consequences and I, in fact, I know there's consequences to our actions when we start to operate outside of the parameters by which our creator is set for us. <clears throat> the acknowledgement of a creator, the institution, and in fact, the, very, the, the two oldest institutions, the very two, the, very, the first two institutions that our creator gave us was the institution of marriage in the institution of the family. And we've seen that being redefined in our day and our time today. And so we, we, we are, you know, getting away from what would be considered societal norms to something that is become societal abnormality. And some of this stuff just isn't normal. And this is not, I understand, I'm not here to put down or bash and beat up on people who don't share my viewpoints or my opinions or anything like that. I welcome a conversation. I welcome a, you know, a lively debate. If someone wants to, if they have a different viewpoint than I do, um, certainly want to respect 
someone's view, different viewpoint. At least I do. And sometimes when I feel like I'm being disrespected because I don't go along with the stated narrative, then sometimes I just have to silence up and just not even entertain the conversation much anymore. But one of the things that is really refreshing is that there are people, particularly those within our community, right, those within the community that believe in these set standards and these values. We, we're watching, and we're going to talk about this when the judge comes on, because tonight it's a two-hour special. The Honorable Judge Joe Brown will be in. As many of you know, he's running for mayor of Memphis, Tennessee, of Tennessee. and so one of the things uh, we're going to talk about when he comes on board is how his mayoral, mayoral campaign is going and some of the obstacles and, and, and some of the, the ups and downs that he may be facing in, in, uh, in this upcoming uh, election. And certainly, uh, people are very familiar, particularly the folks in Memphis are very familiar with him. He was, he was a judge there in Shelby County and a uh, criminal court judge. And, you know, he, he, you know, he really tried to work with, some of these folks to come in and, you know, and try to help them get on the right track. So we're going to talk a little bit about that when the judge comes in. Uh, we're also going to talk about the indictment of former President Donald Trump and the relentless attacks, you know, to ensure that he doesn't make another run for the office of president, which is really what it is. It's a, uh, it really is, a, uh, in my opinion, my most humble opinion, uh, a political attack as opposed to, you know, some things that are just, you know, oh, he just committed all of these crimes. And, you know, to me, it's just amazing. The person who's only been in office one time, ran for office one time, committed all of these acts. And we got folks in office that's been there decades, <laughs> decades. And, you know, and, and oftentimes in conversations, whether it's on the bishop's program or whether it's on judge's program, you know, you know, and we all agree that, you know, you ain't there 30, 20, 30, and 40 plus years because you just care so much about your constituents and, you know, <laughs> and and you're doing such a wonderful job. I mean, at least the illusion of doing a wonderful job is there. I mean, they, you know, the media will, you know, do what they have to do to tamp down any uh, opposition to certain candidates. And that's on both sides of the political aisle. We know that money is being made by those within both parties. And I've always stated that I believe that there's a handful of representatives, those within the House, uh, those within the United States Senate, you know, whether, you know, and, e and even on the on the state level, you know, your state legislatures, there are people who run for office and they, and I, and I think that everybody that goes into politics and runs for office are there because they really want to do the people's work. But, but I'll tell you something, um, the corruption is, is, is just, it, it, I mean, if you come there straight laced, if you come there with, uh, with a little bit of, uh, uh, righteous standard, you know, somebody who wants to stand up for something, you know, you, you, you're not going to be trusted very much because the system, in my most humble opinion, based upon the things I've heard, some of the things I've read, I've listened to all interviews and listened to these folks who've been in what we call the swamp, you know, for so many years, you know, give us their mumble jumble on things. And some of these people are some of the most evil, wicked, deceptive people alive. And so this is why sometimes it's hard to take, really take them serious and even believe them. And I think that a lot of people, whether regardless with who you support or who you, or which political party you're affiliated with, we all realize that there's a lot of bad things going on. And the, and the fact of the matter is our nation should not be in the condition that it's in, but it is, it's here. And, you know, the question is, what are the people going to do? Well, when when the establishment, the political elites, the global elites, uh, have effectively put in, you know, plans to separate and divide the people. 
So we we constantly arguing over class, race, and all of those other things while so much other stuff is going on. So we, you know, we 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 got the judge. He wants to go into Memphis as the mayor. He wants to clean the place up. And if you've ever been on his program on Fridays or if you watch the judge on television, you know, judge says, you know, you know, he speaks his mind. He he don't, you know, but by the same token, you know, the judge believes that, you know, that the law, the laws of the land should prevail. Everybody should live in accordance, even those in the political class, the elites, the D.C. establishment, you know, the establishment in your state capitals, in your city halls and all of this, you know, they shouldn't be allowed to get away with some of the things that they do. And we just, we don't even know a fraction of what some of these people are involved in and what they're doing. And, you know, it's good to have discussions and conversations about the politics of it all. Uh, but people get very passionate, you know, and I have to admit, sometimes I find myself getting very passionate because my viewpoint is a lot different than those of my family members and friends. I had those viewpoints and those opinions a long time ago. And, you know, things happen. You know, you learn, you watch, you learn, and, you, you know, you got to come come out of your feelings. You got to come out of your emotions. And, you, you know, some, and, and one of the things I think that we as a people need to, you know, kind of, uh, um, Bishop judges on. So, you know, if you can find his number, uh, we want to bring him in. We want to give bring him in properly. But you know, um, uh, it's just uh, that. I, uh, excuse me, Victor. Uh, I, I'm looking at the numbers. Yeah. I don't see that two, three two three number. I see a whole lot of three, okay. three zero numbers. Judge, if you hear me, Judge, uh, text me the number that you want because he doesn't see it. Yeah, because he kind of wants Bishop, number. you know when when we uh, <laughs> you know whenever we have these these conversations, these topics on your whether it's your program or on the judge's program, somehow or another, all of this interference seems to come about. Somebody just you're, don't you're right, want but... us talking about various. <laughs> You're right. It happens all the time. All the time. More controversial. All the time. So, Judge, you know what's happening. Um, Yeah. Judge, if it's 646. uh, Wait a minute. 646? Yeah. You know the number. You don't see it up there? But somebody was telling me. I got 216. Well, somebody was telling me. 214. Three three zero eight zero four one four six four six one four three one zero two one six two one six six one four three three zero three three zero. You don't see the judge's number. No, not not. Three, somebody three, was, no. I had a conversation with somebody, and they were telling me that uh, <clears throat> that blog talk is starting to act funny too. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, I yeah. they they hide. They hide a lot of stuff just like, you know, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all of them. So, you know, a lot of people are being censored. A lot of the numbers are not I'm being call, reflected I'm as to. I'm going to call his number. Okay, go ahead and give him a call number. then. Yeah, so you okay. can keep on with the program. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But as I was, as I was stating, you know, um, I learned – that there's a righteous way of living. And, and and like I said, a lot of people don't believe what I believe. I believe that the Bible is the standard in the word of the living God, and he has set forth a standard. And it seemed like that we have abdicated uh, our responsibilities. We've abdicated our roles in society to help keep society normal. And, you know, the enemy is always ever-present looking to destroy that which is good and you know i said it many times i'm not here to bash people who don't believe what i believe and i'm not here to bash and beat up on people who live a certain particular lifestyle you know 
my problem is and always has been and always will be is the politicization of the LGBTQ agenda. There, are, uh, the judge said he's in the queue. The judge uh, Bishop said he was going to call you, if, if you hear me. He said he's going to call you because uh, he couldn't find your number on the board. But nonetheless, the point I, I'm saying this to say, I said all that to say this, is that the judge believes in decency and order, dignity. And with the skyrocketing crime rate, because we're going to talk about the big cities across this country and the, crime, the escalating crime rates in these big cities across the country. These George Soros appointed district attorneys who are just allowing criminals to uh, run rapid. Bishop? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. I'm talking to the judge now. Okay. Well, let me know when he's on because I want to I want to bring him in properly. I want to introduce him properly. But nonetheless, the crime rate is escalating and Judge has his ideas as to how he wants to turn things around down there in the city of Memphis, and so we're hoping and praying that he becomes the next mayor of the city of Memphis. And so uh, and so we're hoping hoping that he, he wins. I, I'm planning. Yeah. Hopefully planning. Judge, planning. Judge, judge, you there? All righty, sir. And well, let hold on. Before before you say anything, I got to introduce you. Got to bring you in properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the coach in session. The coach in session now. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. All righty, he's in the building. He don't take no stuff from nobody, no how, no way. He tell him, boy, take off your hat. Judge, how you doing, man? All right, sir, I'm doing fine. I hope you're doing as well. Bishop, you too, sir. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, Judge, got to ask you about this song. What do you think about this song? This is the third time I, you've been on, and I've opened up with Here Come the Judge, because you are a judge. So yeah, that's, that's, I an feel old it. Song. that's an old song. Pigmeat Markham came out with that years and years ago, decades ago. Uh-huh. Okay. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> what they were taking right. off is a little piece of history. What they were taking off on was Amos and Andy. They had a courtroom mm-hmm. thing in there. And where they based it on was a special precinct in Miami for black folk where they also had a black court, and all they dealt with was black matters in there. So for the televised edition Amos and Andy which switched over from white folk and black folk to in black face black people they mm-hmm. use that as a model. Interesting. Okay. But anyhow, yeah. That history aside, you know, it's a little piece of trivia, but 
Yeah, it's okay. All right, all right. That's the way I like to introduce you. Here comes the judge. You know, you you you, you served as a judge, like you said. <laughs> the judge is in the house. That's right. You you were on Shelby County. What what uh was it a uh, common please? What what court were you serving on? No, it's uh, a state court, state trial court, circuit court. Shelby County, we had so many criminal matters, the fifth largest criminal jurisdiction in the country, that we had circuit courts that handled mostly criminal matters. That's what it was. So we tried everything from shoplifting to first-degree murder, death penalty stuff, jury trials. Okay, okay. What that was. The official title was Division 9 of the 30th Judicial District, excuse me, Division 9 of the 30th Judicial District for the state of Tennessee sitting at Memphis. Mm-hmm. Okay. For whatever that's worth. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Judge, I, uh, I sent you a list of things that I wanted to wanted you to cover tonight. Uh, among those is your mayoral campaign. Now, um, I didn't have it on the, uh, in the information that I sent you, but the recent Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action, I want to, I want to make sure we get to that. Also, that's, Bishop, Bishop. that's easy enough. That's easy enough. A lot of what the problem is, is misinformation supplied over 50 years that's basically incorrect. This decision does absolutely nothing to affirmative action. It's not ended. And actually what the majority opinion written by Judge Roberts does is reimposes what was intended by black folk and other minorities when we set it up 55 years ago. See, what we looked at was a shortage of black Mexican, Asian, Native American students in colleges and universities, but they let in a whole lot of athletes. And what they usually did is had something in their catalog that said admission will be based on a competitive assessment of grade point average, aptitude test, and or other factors that indicate an ability to succeed. For athletes, it was athletics. For minorities and ethnic groups, we said what we need to do is look to see what somebody has been doing to find out if they've had hardship based on what they are that causes an identifiable problem that they have overcome. And in the process of overcoming it and in the way they dealt with it, illustrates that if you let them into the university or college, they will maximize the positive fallout to that institution and to the communities that they represent. That's almost exactly what Roberts put in his opinion. The people that argued for the plaintiffs did not realize what they were arguing, but the way it came about and got bastardized was because In the early 70s, up in Berkeley, University of California at Berkeley, were some colored folk who wanted to get into the medical school. The way this other factors that indicated an ability to succeed had been applied was what they called a political test. In other words, what have you been doing for your community? You haven't done anything, then you're not worthy of coming in. And by the way, most of the time what's going on is you just have been privileged and you've been partying too much or you're not that smart. So we're not going to waste it on you. And most of these people were what you'd call boule now or Atlanta housewife prototypes or at least the audience Mm. get their boules. And they had mommy and daddy that matched the Huxtables, the the Cosby show, and they had no excuse for not excelling except being lazy or not paying attention. 
Now, they claimed that was a political test, and what they wanted was a quota set aside for black folk just because you were black without demonstrating any special circumstances or any articulable non-racial reason for letting you in. So what happens is they just took the black folk with the highest LSATs or medical aptitude test and grade point average and took the highest one of them and had so many you're going to let in, even though they didn't match ordinary admission requirements and there was no other factors that indicated an ability to succeed. It was particularly apparent on the grad school level because the people seeking admission were not 17 and 18. They were in their early 20s, and for the most part, they had had to work, support children, or they would had to drop in and out because of circumstances. They had been active in communities that they occupied. They had done good things. They were leaders, and that's what was needed. So what these characters did is they collaborated with the faculty at UC Berkeley and with some of the white students, and in particular, Baki. They got admitted for helping set this mess up. Baki was ordered, well, the school was ordered to admit Baki, so he got in and a few other whites. And what happened is they started down the rabbit hole because they got to articulate affirmative action as just you get in because you're black, which is not what we wanted. In the late Mm. 70s, some sitcoms came on where the joke was uh, you got in under affirmative action, and the whole thing got bastardized again from that point. Interestingly enough, the Black Law Student Association, BALSA, at UCLA and other places around uh, California and other places in the country were telling these clowns, these selfish individuals, don't do that because you're going to ruin everything for everybody. You're going to give them an opportunity to cast this in a way that is going to destroy affirmative action. Now, I didn't get affirmative action. I had to get in through the front door, uh, undergrad and law school, but I helped set it up for undergrads and law school. Now, an interesting thing, we BALSA members learned that there was a Clarence Thomas that got admitted to Yale under their affirmative action program, which, incidentally, they tried to recruit me to Yale since I could get into the through the front door so they could get parameters off of what I was doing and set up this program. They offered me a lot of money, but snowed too much, and the girls were prettier in Hollywood, (laughs) California. So I stayed in L.A. and went to law school. had a girlfriend I was trying to get back with. So, you know, she was fine, so what the devil. Now, that said, (laughs) It's interesting, but Clarence Thomas got in under an affirmative action program. He purportedly got into some academic troubles. And between his first and second year, they sent him all over the country to badmouth affirmative action, and he stayed in Yale. And then thereafter, for the next summer, between second and third year, he badmouthed affirmative action. And then when he got out, since he graduated from Yale, he was sworn into the bar of the state he was going to practice in without having to take the bar exam. They hired him at the state attorney general's office to work in the tax department. He didn't just sit in the library or they did any tax work, but they hauled him around all over the country to badmouth affirmative action. Then when the Reagan administration got in, he had done such a good job of trying to set it back that they hired him in his 20s to be the director for EEOC, and his mission was to destroy it. Congress wouldn't let him, but he did everything he could to ax it as a reward pointed him to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which I thought was ludicrous because at that point he'd never even been in a courtroom. So here he goes 
from law school to a tax uh, study situation in a state attorney general's office, no trial work, no real case work, no legislation, and then he becomes head of the EEOC in his 20s and then is a reward for trying to destroy it so thoroughly. He gets put on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals for the federal system, and then he gets made a U.S. Supreme Court justice. So uh, lately, I think he's been of some utility because of the decisions he's come down with defending the Second Amendment. It's about time he did something uh, besides being a foil for Scalia. So sometimes you do some things in spite of yourself. So that's good. Now, that said, we are not going to suffer anything from this decision because essentially it states affirmative action as it was before the term affirmative action, that is doing something to affirmatively assure minority admission to various schools and employment. Now, what happened is that after affirmative action got kick-started, you got the amendment to the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, that dealt with no discrimination in employment on the basis of race, color, nationality, religion, sex, uh, age, or medical condition. And right. it ran from that, and I think female whites and also black females got a great deal more out of that than anybody else did because most of the cases dealt with discrimination based on sex. Now, this whole because thing about this sexual orientation. Because this particular case was brought by a uh, Chinese woman, was Japanese. It? Had something to now, do with the Japanese. Japanese, okay. Let me say this. The admissions at that institution, I think 27-plus percent of the student body at that institution is Asian. That is way more than that percentage in the population. And I think what happened is that the Japanese did to themselves what black folk did to themselves when those colored folk at UC Berkeley did what they did so they could get in and screw everybody else. I think this is going to backfire on the Japanese. But it is what it is. Yeah, I do. Um, This is one of those things of be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Okay. Bishop, um, you heard what Judge said. Was was there something you wanted to add or you wanted to uh, ask ask the judge? You know, really, judge, judge really articulated it very, very well because I know I've been researching it myself in, in my limited way because judge is a, is a judge of renown. I'm just a spectator in this aspect. But I did, I did find out what judges said is so true. White women, for the most part, has benefited um, more from the Affirmative action in any other group, and uh, which is not surprising. A judge said a minute ago uh, they wanted to advance a, a position, and it seems like in many instances, Judge, uh, and I want your opinion on this too. It seems like many things that were meant for, or at least initially was was spoken of as meaning uh, to help African Americans, Black folk, melanated people, uh, actually ended up helping others more than those who initially it was said it was intended for. What are your thoughts on that? There are many of the programs in the well, right back. It never was intended. Bishop, it never was intended to help just black folk. We set up coalitions back in the late mid-60s. The Chicanos, the Native Americans, and the Asians were in on setting up affirmative action to get admissions into school. So this group of Asians, Japanese, who are protesting now about being cut out of it, actually were part of the coalition that got the thing set up anyway. But this is so typical. Ignorance of history and circumstance is rampant these days. Nobody cares because you get caught off into what they do. Now, what happens is that We did not have many of any of those groups, but we got together, and that put small numbers together to make 
big numbers. Now, one of the things that you also see now is LGBTQIA+, where you started off with lesbians, gays, bisexuals. Now you added transvestites in there, and then you included pedophiles, which came in under the uh, gay uh, manifesto, rights manifesto of 1972, for instance, Article 6 under state action recommended, which was to remove age as a factor in sexual consent. Well, that ballast that got brought together by bringing all these factions in was made larger in the late mid-60s by including those who hated that they weren't males, men, that's the feminists, those who hated men, some of the lesbians, those who hated that they weren't strong men, the so-called beta boys, those who hated that they weren't normal men, some of the gays, and then you added that to those who hated men for supposedly calling and causing war. Hey, Beth, we got to deal with love, Beth. Worries a bad thing, Dad. It's so bad. You know, we got to deal with the feminizing bit so we don't cause this horrible war. You know, this kind of crap. And the ballast that you had from putting all of these factors together started this thing in place. You got uh, what happens with the motion picture industry going belly up in the late 60s because of color TV. You got a lot of executives who got kicked out, and they brought in some new ones who were part of this coalition of anti-men. So they used their opportunities to start dealing with dysfunction, and they started with what they thought were the most aggressively masculine group, that is, black men. And they disenfranchised us in terms of healthy representation, and they instituted black exploitation, starting with Fred the Hammer Williams, a uh, former football player with Black Caesar, and then you went to Superfly, and then you got Pam Greer and Foxy Brown and all of the poison that came out of that kind of thing. And then they, they basically to, saved Hollywood, didn't they, Judge? Yeah, they invented this new thing of you go to one movie place as long as it, people will come, you walk in on time, leave when it's over, versus what you used to do every Thursday and Sunday. The mark changed, and you got two movies, two or three cartoons, and two sub-features. You walked in any time you wanted, set as long as you wanted. You paid 50 cents as an adult, then it went up to a buck and a half for one movie. And in today's money, that'd be like $45 a hit. So, you know, it was like they got the money in and they said, we have one group, a mass underrepresented, underaddressed group of Afro-American slash black folk. And if we give them movies that appeal to them, we can get an enormous amount of cash coming in through the box office. And what they did is instead of doing something meritorious, they went to the lowest common denominator. So instead of the people working, doing decent stuff, they went to pimps, hoes, drug dealers, robbers, thieves, murderers, mm. gangsters, and drug dealers. So, it, so that was their, that was Hollywood's affirmative action program then, huh? That wasn't intended to be affirmative. That was used mm-hmm. to make money specifically to advance an agenda which was anti-masculine on the large scale. See, this was the sexual revolution. And by the way, since I mentioned the Huxtable thing there with Dr. Cosby, what you need to understand is that sexual revolution meant sexual revolution. Women had just gotten the pill. Everybody took the pill and was into birth control. Very, very few got knocked up outside of wedlock. Abortions were rife, and uh, people had sex. The women were saying the men can have free sex. The women can, too. So women were aggressively trying to have sex, and 
what people are complaining about now against Dr. Cosby or what we used to call sex, drugs, rock and roll, sex, drugs, TV, sex, drugs, movie, sex, drugs, basketball, football, baseball, you name it. The sex, yeah. drugs, crack or sex, drugs, BBC or BBD, as they might say it right now. And you'd go into a party. And you would be able to get sex with a woman that you were acquainted with as easily as you could get a slow dance with her at a house party. It was that easy. Judge, let me let me let me kind of uh, pull you back to the uh, affirmative action, and I, you, you know, because I wanted to ask you this: Do do you think that the affirmative action uh, program is actually run out? its usefulness is, you know, has basically run out. And now we, as you, you know, you were talking about the LGBTQ, everybody now is piggybacking or riding. Sometimes I would say there are folks, groups out there who are trampling over us because of the things that were set up in so particular for us as a people in this country. Now everybody else is enjoying the fruits of it, and we're being the one, and we're the group that's being trampled over. Do you agree with that? Well, to an extent, but the problem with affirmative action is who it let in. Previously, if you were black going to a major university, you were a football player, baseball player, you ran track, you did something, a basketball player. You were an aggressive person who took charge of your situation. When they started having these affirmative action programs and they started morphing into something else, what happened is we started getting the wrong kind of black person in them. They were not the aggressive stand up and be counted, go forth and do something about the situation. They were, well, the best way to describe it, and one of the reasons I don't like it and did not like him, they were Barack Obamas. In other words, they exploited what others had done. This is black people. In other words, when I got to UCLA in 1965, we had 62,000 full-time students, and out of that there were 145 black full-time students exactly, 73 grad students, 72 undergrads, and that included the 16 black freshmen they admitted in 1965. Well, we did something, formed the BSU. We did a lot of things, did a lot of these students today wouldn't have the nerve to do, and it wasn't just going around with signs. Now, we got admissions based on a competitive assessment, a grade point average, et cetera, et cetera, and we got for 66, 67 year. We got in a block of 250 additional black students over and above those who just squeak through standard style. Now, what happened is 67, 68, we got another 250, but we got the wrong kind. Whereas the first batch, and this is all across the country, Chicanos, Asians, uh Native Americans, whatever it may be, we were fighters, and we were not nonviolent. We didn't, we weren't getting on our knees for somebody to whip us across the head until somebody else felt guilty about it. We hmm. were militant and aggressive. We didn't want anybody to do anything for us. It's just get out the way we'll do it ourselves. But for this second match, right. all across the country, we had a problem. And this is a real incident, and the person I'm quoting, it's an actual quote on a punk. He's dead now. And what he did one time when we had to make a move on something, he says, Brother, I appreciate, brothers, I appreciate all you've done to sacrifice, all the sacrifices you've made that have helped me out, but I can't afford to jeopardize my career. You'll have to go on without me, but I'll be there with you in spirit. In spirit. So we said, grab the fool, and we drug him. And he had on some gray 
slacks. And LAPD was there, LA County Sheriff's Department, the Highway Patrol, the Unit Cops, et cetera, et cetera. And he got so scared he pissed his pants, and there was a big stain down his left pant leg and a puddle of urine at his left shoe. So the brothers that were holding him let him go, and he was so scared he couldn't stand, he fell down into his own pee. And finally, when he composed himself, he jumped up and took off in a dead sprint. Now, he looked like an actor that a lot like Barack Obama sounded like him, too. And in later years, he was consultant to a number of U.S. presidents on minority affairs. You know, punk. Really? So Mm. that became the norm. And what you saw were a lot of prototypes that you can still see if you tune into something like Atlanta Housewives when they have one of these cotillions or boule things and all of the pretentious Negroes in Atlanta are all assembled to be extras in Atlanta Housewives. So that's what you got. And that's where the thing fell down. Okay. Judge, um, I want to... Go ahead, one real last quick. thing. I want to move word, on. What they did not do is what W.E.B. Du Bois talked about, and that is they abdicated their responsibility as the black talented tenth to help the race bootstrap itself up. They abandoned it, and they co-opted it, and they kept pushing for this bastardized uh, affirmative action just based on race rather than on this political test that they couldn't pass. And that's where okay. it went to hell. Okay. Um, also, I, I want to, let me, let me do this also judge, because I, it's important that I do it. I want to read the copyrights disclaimer and it says the copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyrights Act of 1976, allowance is made for fair use for the purpose such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Now, you're running for mayor down there in Memphis. Yes. Yeah. Give us an update on what's going on with your campaign, Judge, and, uh, you know, how things how things are going for you down there. Well, every poll that I get mentioned in, which are few, I win overwhelmingly. But the polls that the newspaper here, the television stations here, the polls they are conducting leave me out. So they put this thing to favored people of so-and-so and so-and-so, but I'm not even in that poll to get mentioned. I've got enormous public support. I'm the only one in here with any kind of programs to straighten stuff out. I've issued a challenge to all of my opponents, which is a dare. Come walk with me down into the hood and talk to all of the people, including the youth, and see if you can get out alive or without getting your butt beat. And also, by the way, how do you explain these donors who have been dumping all this money into your advance through politics when they are not good for the people, black, white, brown, red, yellow. And why are you so caught up into what looks to be corruption and stealing under the table? You see, mm. so it becomes part of what's happening in this whole country. We have essentially weak leadership, and I mean leadership. We've got administrators who can weakly administer programs, but they don't have strong physical presences. And quite frankly, they're so marked on when it comes to leadership that let's say there was mass diarrhea and people were in dire need of toilet paper, they couldn't get anybody to follow them to the porta potty to get wiped. So <laughs> that's how bad it is. Look at what happened in Chicago. Look at what they've got in Chicago now. Is anybody going to follow those people? Look at that character in New York. Does he look like somebody you would follow? Look at what's going on in Los Angeles. Look what's happening in, uh, around the country. Now, there's some strong leaders, but nobody pays attention to them. Look at what's running for Congress. Look at what's in the Senate. Look at that sorry spectacle of the Black Caucus 
in Congress, House and Senate. Have they done anything for black people? No, they're surrogates for, like you said, the rainbow. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with somebody wanting to be gay. If they want to be gay, get their freak on in the bedroom. That's their right. But you've got a quasi-religious entity that's trying to become the first official religion for the United States. And when I say that, contemplate that Buddhism, for example, is an official religion, but it does not have a deity, no God. It's a system of philosophy, the same thing with LGBTQIA. And a lot of gay folk do not like it because of the juxtaposition with this tranny thing, because the boys like boys, yeah. they don't like fake boys. Girls like girls, they don't like some fake girl with a penis and balls. Otherwise, it just gotten the original thing. And they don't like this grooming and because they remember getting turned out when they were children by some pervert. And they certainly don't like this other bloody doggone thing where it comes to pedophilia because wow. that's bad. So I have had a lot of gay folk that I knew out in Hollywood where they predominate say it's poison. They don't like it. So it, it's a thing where we're getting fed a bell of goods, and we need to study propaganda. I have, and one of the propaganda tactics is when you control significant news media, what you wind up doing is you start telling a big lie, which is, Everybody is on board this now when there's a distinct minority. So if you listen to Walt yeah. Disney, anything else, the news media, uh, entertainment media, you think gay folk are at least half the population. Actually, less than one half of the U.S. population is tranny. A little less than 1% is lesbian. 1.5% is gay what you wind up with is maybe 4.5% of the population, male and female, go both ways. So if you are in a heavy area that manifests this bill, you may have from 4 to 7% of the population that way. But you would think they were 50%. They're not. Well, Judge, but I want to I wanna, I wanna, I wanna hold you right there because I, I wanted to cover – I'm not, I'll bring it up a little bit later on. The Senate bill in, in the state of Washington, also the bill in, in the state of Michigan, and that's and you're exactly right. Yes, but you're exactly right. There is a segment of lesbians and homosexuals who do not like this movement. But I wanted to kind of stick with your campaign because the next thing, Judge. Being that you're running for the mayor of, of the city of Memphis, um, the uh, the thing that I wanted to cover was the crime rates in the big cities, and we know there's a lot of problems in Memphis. I pulled this article up from it's called SafeHome.org. Uh, there's plenty of stuff out there people want to find out the crime rates and the things that are going on, and it's the report on the U.S. cities. And it says Memphis, Tennessee, Cleveland, Ohio, and Mobile, Alabama are among the worst cities for murder, robbery, and, and sexual assault. Here it states, Judge, I'm going to read this. I'm going to try to read it up real quick because I've got a few things I want to cover here. So between 2010 and 2019, crime rates consistently fell throughout American cities. Violent and property offenses dipped in many cities of all sizes until the pandemic struck. In 2020, Violent crime surged in American cities. This troubling trend continued in the pandemic's second year. Murder rate and assault reports rose uh, again slightly in 2021. Um, it says here, key findings, murder rates increased dramatically among between 2011 and 2021, jumping 46% in one decade. Murder rates also increased by 8% between 2020 and 2021. Property crime rates in American cities also climbed slightly between 2020 and 2021. However, rates were 28% lower in 2021 uh, than 10 years ago. Now, it says here, Memphis overtook Detroit as the deadliest large city in the nation. Among cities yeah, with I populations of 500,000, 
let me let me finish this, Judge. It says um, among the cities with populations of five hundred thousand or more people, it had the highest per capita murder and aggravated assault rates. Rates. It also had the second highest robbery rate among large cities, and Houston, Texas, had the highest robbery rate. What do you say to that? That's true. I was a criminal court judge here, elected to two eight-year terms. I I've seen it coming, but. By the way, it really wasn't COVID-19. What happens is you've got a generation that ranges now from about 13 to about 16 or 17 that was victimized by the excessive anti-masculinity that has become apparent apparent since about 2018. Mm -hmm. It's hit a height, and the criminality is predictable. There is no leadership. There is nobody to reach out and bestow a cause and a purpose on the youth. They don't have a community that stands in for the lack of fatherhood in the hood. They do not have it. The leadership is singularly incapable. Could you see Lori Lightfoot going down into hoods in Chicago and and inspiring the young men to be straight, get it together, and do the manly thing to protect their communities? Hell no. Absolutely not. Right now, I'm not even the mayor yet. I'm only running, but I'm working with some of the OGs and gangsters, street gangs, to broker a public peace because they're tired of the killing. Another thing is... The solutions we get from the Democratic Party, and I'll castigate them for this, are actually the things that have produced the problem. Emasculation does not cause the problem to stop. It makes it worse because you're still dealing with the apex predator on the planet Earth, young male humans. And when you take masculinity away, you take that control factor that keeps them acting appropriately. Now, I'll give you an example. About three weeks ago, there's a place in Memphis called Tate Street that has the dubious distinction of having had more violent events occur on it than any other specific location in the entire city of Memphis. So they have had uh, an epiphany, and that is, we adults who are legal, we're going to arm up and conduct armed patrols. Well, guess what? Predictably, the crime stops, but some idiots with the Democratic Party philosophy say, we have to disarm all of those people. Oh, isn't it horrible? They're armed in their community. Yes, but to keep in peace. To give an example, while I was at the block party circulating, talking to everybody, I had to go over and talk to seven or eight youth. What was peculiar about them? They were 13 to about 16, and several of them had glocks stuck down the front of their pants trying to floor show. So myself and some of the armed adults went on and said, uh-uh, it's going to be like that. You need to go take that back home. It's not going to be mm. like that. So after a little conversation, they left. But you see, none of the leadership can do that. One of the people who is running against me just got elected as sheriff, and he can't explain, by the way, why there are five killings in the same building he works in downtown, 201 Poplar, and why gangs have infiltrated his sheriff's department. But anyway, he heard I was there. So he shows up in uniform, pistol on hip, with his armed deputies, and they're going around, you know, standing in front, arms crossed, all stuck up, wouldn't talk to anybody, wouldn't shake hands with anybody, didn't speak to anybody. Meanwhile, I'm glad handing everybody and handing out advice and on the stage talking and getting peace there and getting the people inspired and giving them a purpose and have some Mm -hmm. actual programs that aren't predicated on how much I can steal from the city trying to run the program. So... (laughs) That is a thing that's different. You see, we have unlimited energy down here in this Mississippi River. If they put hydroelectric generators down there, the modular ones that don't require dams or concrete emplacements, we've got the center of the North American distribution net right here. There's 
ocean-going traffic trying to get in from Europe. We can get it in here. They'd stop trying to block it because they can't get any money out of it. We can take it back, ship it through the Suez Canal into Asia, and bring vehicles back here from Honda and Mitsubishi, et cetera, and save them 9,000 miles going across the Pacific. We can do a whole lot of things. We can have uh, this Ford Motor Company new plant. They're hiring almost 28,000 people in the next three and a half years. We can make this to Detroit for the 21st century because Cadillac is moving in to sell electric vehicles. But the governor... He's trying to finesse things because he's got the controlling interest in the firm that's got the contract with Ford to supply the battery parts. You've got a mayor of a county, Tipton County. He bought 550 acres at a discounted rural rate where they're going to build up the new township of 200,000 people to service the new plant, which they're trying to go in there. You got one of my opponents who sat there and disenfranchised the city so they can't get anything out of it because he got money under the table. You see, these kind of things are bad. We have a problem here. People want to bring in Al Sharpton and Kamala Harris and Crump, and they talk about police misconduct and white supremacy. Hell. We've got a situation here where 65 to 70% of the population is black. It's the largest predominantly black city in America. 65% of the police are black. 80% of the command authority for the sheriff's department and the police are black. The sheriff's black. The chief of police is black. 60% of the criminal court judges are black and female. And 65 to 70% of the jury pool is black. Now, what kind of white supremacy is that about coming down all black folks? Right. But Now, you just brought up something that I I wanted to ask you about because I mentioned this on a program. uh, 